Well, good morning, church family. I have to say, it's good to be back after being gone last week. I was in Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin, uh, having cheese curds. No, uh, we were speaking at a uh, men's retreat out there, but uh, while it was nice and green, uh, I have to say there's no place like home, so it's good to be back and good to be engaging in what we're going to be looking at this morning in the word of the Lord. I have to say, traveling isn't always the most fun, uh, is it? Anybody love to travel? Like, I love <clears throat> going to places, like getting there, uh, or I should say being there, but getting there isn't always uh, that fun, and traveling this past week was a reminder of it. But it did bring me back to one trip that we went on as a family, and it was by far, I think, I might, just my opinion, you could ask my family, I think it was the, the best trip we ever had kind of as a family. It was really, really uh, memorable. For those of you that know a little bit about me, I am a bit of a history nerd. I, I love, love history. And one of the places that I'd always wanted to go growing up, but my parents never let me go. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> my mom's here this morning. Um, was Washington, D.C., uh, I just, I read biographies of presidents and our history, and I was just like, I always wanted to go there and spend some time outside of a short layover one time. I never really got to go and experience the city. And so as the kids got older in 2019, we decided we're going to take the trip that I always wanted to take. It was really the trip I wanted to take, not the trip that they really cared to take, but they enjoyed it when we went. And before we went, because we knew we had just, you know, like a week that we were going to be there, you know what I did? I took a lot of time to plan out and to research, where should we go? What should we see? I wanted to maximize the time. And the only way to really get the most out of the experience was to do that, to take the time before the trip even started to look at the map of DC, to understand where the monuments were, to know where the parking was, to know where our hotels would be. Uh, here's a picture I want to show you. This is, this is us in 2019 in front of the, the Capitol. Um, that was towards the end of our trip. We had an absolutely just wonderful time. But we took a lot of time beforehand to talk through what it was that we were going to see and what it was we were going to do. Now, I share this with you because today is the start of a journey for us, a start of an exploration in an absolutely glorious book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. This is such a remarkable book. It's such a gift to us as the people of God. But it's one of those books that, like the trip to D.C., if we're really going to maximize our time in this book, we need to just kind of slow down and prepare ourselves for what it is that we're going to be engaging, to get as much background as we can, to make sense of the things that we're going to learn and we're going to hear in this book. You see, the book of Ephesians is one of those rare books of the Bible where literally Every significant Christian doctrine can be found in this one book. Like you could spend, you know, three years jumping around to different books of the Bible and not cover as much of the theology and doctrine as you can get in the book of Ephesians. Beyond that, the book of Ephesians not just tells us these wonderful Christian doctrines, but it actually communicates to you and to me how we actually live in light of those things in the significant and major relationships that we have. And so what we're going to be doing as a church from now actually all the way until really the start of the summer, is we're going to be spending time in this one book. It's like your Bibles, if you bring a Bible and not an electronic device, it's just going to flop over, open to Ephesians by the time we're, we're done. 
Outside of some breaks around Christmas and Easter and some standalones that we're going to do, we're going to be spending a lot of time in this most wonderful book. And here's one of my encouragements for you, one of my challenges actually. This is an easy book to read in the sense that it only takes about 20 minutes to read it in its entirety. So what I would invite you to start doing is, is read through this book in one sitting. See what you can pick out. See what you can ascertain from it on your own. Get acquainted with it because the more that you read and study it on your own, the more our times together, I believe, will be a blessing and an encouragement to, to you. So here's what we're going to do this morning. As, as we prepare to get into this book, I want to invite you to do just that. Open up in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And, and if you're not there yet... I want to give you a second to get there. I'm not going to try and overwhelm you uh, this morning. In fact, we're going to take this week and next week to do really just two simple things. What we're going to look at this week and next week is just first, who's the author of this book? And second, who are the recipients of this letter? And as we do that, I think we'll create the groundwork for everything that's about to come next. So, as I like to say, are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? Buckle up. Here we go. We're going to start in verses 1 and 2. That's all we're going to look at today. It starts with this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there. This is the beginning of the book of Ephesians. And in these opening verses of Ephesians, something is revealed to us. What we're about to read, what we're going to spend time studying, is none other than a letter. The book of Ephesians is first and foremost, it's a letter. And so as we prepare ourselves to study it, we need to recognize that what we have here in this book of the Bible, it's a letter. It's a communication between individuals. Church, why is that important? Why is it for us, why is it important to understand that this isn't a book of history like Judges or like Acts or, or like the Gospels or a book of poetry like Psalms or even Ecclesiastes? It's because you and I understand instinctively that, that a letter is something that is written in a relational and historical context. So when you understand that the book of Ephesians is a letter, you have to think to yourself, okay, this is something that wasn't written in a vacuum. It was something that was written in a specific time and place in history, and that matters. And it was also written to very specific people. It's relational in nature. I was reflecting as I was preparing this week, thinking back to when Hannah and I uh, were first friends. This was way back in the olden days. In fact, text messaging didn't even exist. We didn't even have cell phones when we started dating. Like that you couldn't, you know, there was no free mobile minutes. So one of the things that we did was we would write letters to each other. And then we eventually started dating and we wrote more letters to each other. And then we got engaged and we wrote more letters to each other because we were separated by distance. Now, the letters that we wrote to each other when we were first just just friends, uh, were a lot different than the letters that we wrote to each other when we were engaged. In fact, if you read one of our letters when we were just friends, and you saw that, oh, Dave's writing to, to Hannah, and you read one of those letters, and you knew today that we were actually married, and somebody said, you know, 
Dave just wrote this letter to Hannah yesterday, you'd say, no, no, he didn't. Look at how they're talking to one another. This isn't a guy that's married to this woman. He, he hardly even, he, it appears like he hardly even knows her. Time and place, context and relationship. Our letters changed over time because relationships change over time. If you come to the book of Ephesians, you don't understand that it's a letter. You're going to think that it's something that was just written in a vacuum when in reality, it's a personal communication between one individual and its recipients. But who was it that wrote it? Who were the recipients? Well, today, as I said, we're just going to start. We're going to look at who the author of this book was. It starts in verse 1. Did you see it? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. When we write letters, where do we typically put our names in our letters? Do we put them at the beginning? No, we put, put them at the end. In the ancient world, they started their letters with addressing themselves as the author. And in this case, we see that the human author of the letter to the Ephesians was none other than a man by the name of Paul. Now, did you notice what I just said there? The human author of this letter is who? Paul. Do you know why I say the human author of this letter is Paul? Because before we even look at who this man was, we want to understand and we want to know and ultimately believe that every book of the Bible, every sentence, paragraph, every word, ultimately has a divine author. You see, the true author of Ephesians and the entirety of this book is none other than, than God. It's why we started our scripture reading with 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. If we're going to understand what we're reading here, we just don't want to take it as a letter from two individuals because if it's just a letter from two individuals or one individual to another, you and I can look at it and say, well, what does it really matter to you and me? Like, why should we even care about this letter? We should care about this letter because it was a letter that was ultimately inspired by God. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture... All scripture, including the book of Ephesians, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What we hold here in our hands, what we are going to be studying is God's word to us. Yes, Paul is the human author. Yes, he was writing to the church in Ephesus, what we're going to look at next week. But the ultimate author of this book is God himself. Why does that matter? Because there's authority in these words. Because there's truth in these words. Because there's power in these words. What we have here and what we're reading is first and foremost, God's communication to his people. When we say that something is, is inspired, when we talk about inspiration, we're talking about the fact that, that God used human authors to communicate precisely and exactly what it was that God wanted us as his people to hear within the personalities, within the time frames in which these people lived. Now, just as a brief aside, although maybe it should be more than an aside, some people would say, well, why do we accept this as God's word? Why do we take 2 Timothy, which says that the scriptures are inspired by God, and why do we accept it as that? I'm just going to give you four quick things. Four quick things. Number one, when you read the Old Testament, there are very clearly and specifically in the prophets, for example, places where it literally says, thus saith 
the Lord. The Old Testament is full of sections where God is saying, I am speaking. Although prophets are saying the words, the, the prophets are saying, these are, these are God's word, these aren't my words. And so in those texts, it's really clear what we have there is God's word. But secondly, when you look at the New Testament, guys like Paul and Peter who wrote portions of the New Testament, they look back upon the Old Testament and they call it God's word. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Paul says when, or Peter says when you read the Old Testament, what you're reading is men inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what God had intended them to write. The author of Hebrews talks about Jesus speaking in the New Testament, what we have recorded in the Gospels. And he says this, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. New Testament authors see the Old Testament is inspired by God. New Testament authors see, see Jesus himself as being inspired, speaking the words of God. And then even the New Testament authors see themselves and the things that were written by others as being God's word. Peter writes about this, this guy, Paul, and he says this in 2 Peter 3.15. I didn't write this in your notes, but you should jot it down. Look at it. He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them, that is Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter himself says what you have in Paul what you have in Paul is scripture on par with what we see in the Old Testament. So church, anytime we come to the word of God, anytime we come to a letter like this, while we acknowledge that there is a human author, first and foremost, we recognize that the ultimate author, the divine author, is none other than God himself. But beyond that, let's talk for a moment about this human author. Who was this guy? Paul. Because Paul does address himself as the human author of the book. And so, so what do we know about him? We're going to spend some time here this morning diving into his life. But let me just kind of give you a quick recap of, of who he is. If you want to know about Paul, read the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, is filled with the accounts of, of Paul's life along with the other apostles. But Paul's life is talked about in great detail there. Paul it was the author of 13 of the New Testament Books, And so you can learn a lot about Paul by just simply reading the New Testament. But what you need to know about Paul from the beginning is this. He was raised, number one, he was a Jew, and he was raised as a very religious Jew. He was a very religious man. In fact, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, he said this. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, why, why, does, why does that matter? Because that's what the law prescribes. So what he's saying is from the time I was a little baby, like I often joke that I was born in the church. That's what Paul is saying here. It's like I was born in the synagogue. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, as to law, I was a Pharisee. That's who this author is. He's this very religious man. He grew up as a very religious Jew, as a teacher of the people of God. 
But now look. But now look at the very first verse. While Paul was this very religious Jew, someone who was counted as a Pharisee, when he tells the believers in Ephesus who he is, when he identifies himself, look back at verse 1. How does he identify himself, church? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He doesn't identify himself as a Jew. He doesn't identify himself as a Pharisee. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, you know what the word apostle means? Like, what is that title that he gives to himself? Does it mean that he was a religious Jew? Is that what the word apostle means? No. The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostello. Apo meaning from, stello being, you know, to be thrown out or to be cast out. The word simply means this, to send. It was a word that was almost used exclusively in religious circles. And it was used by Paul to identify himself as someone who was an envoy of or an ambassador of someone else. An apostle was one sent as an ambassador or representative. So Paul comes and he says, let me identify myself to you. Let me tell you who I am. Like if you were to introduce yourself to somebody, how do you introduce yourself? Often I would say, you know, oh, you know, who are you? What are you about? Oh, my name is David Wojnick. I'm pastor at Valley Center Community Church. You know, I have, you know, three kids. I'm married to my wife, Hannah. Like we'd introduce ourselves in that way. Paul says, here's what I want you to know about me. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's coming and he's saying from the outset of this letter that he is one sent by Jesus Christ to be his ambassadors. To know me, Paul says, is to know that I am one who has been sent out by Jesus Christ as his representative in the world. That is who I am. Now that's interesting as far as it goes. But do you actually know what that means? Do you actually know what Paul is saying here and how absolutely radical it was for Paul to say that he was a representative for Jesus Christ? You see, if you're familiar with the scriptures at all, you would know that at one time, Paul's name was not Paul. His name was what? Saul. In the first part of Paul's life, he was known as Saul, raised as an extremely religious Jew, becoming a Pharisee of the Jewish people. And during that season of his life, if you were to meet Paul, you would think he was the furthest thing from being an ambassador and a representative for Jesus Christ. Because of his religious zeal, when Jesus Christ appeared on the scene with his disciples, listen to how Paul described who and what he used to be. The first verse to consider is 1 Timothy 1.13. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.13. He says, formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent of who? Jesus Christ. Does that sound like somebody who considers themselves an ambassador for Jesus Christ? When he wrote to the church in Galatia, he said, 
I persecuted the church of God violently, Galatians 1.13 says, and tried to destroy it. During this season in his life, Paul says in Acts 26, 10 through 11, he says, listen, this is how he described himself. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in all the synagogues and I tried, I tried to make them blaspheme. That is to renounce Christ, denounce Christ and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Church, this is Paul describing who he once was. There was a time in his life when Paul hated Jesus Christ, hated his people, the church. He did everything in his power with great passion and rage to destroy the church. I was trying to think of like, Putting it in a modern context, Paul's relationship to Christ and his church would be a modern equivalent of a member of the Ku Klux Klan and Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. That was the enmity, that was the disparity, that was the difference. He hated everything that Christ stood for and the church stood for. Disdain and hatred marked Paul's relationship with the church. And yet, and yet here, he says, who am I? Oh, I'm Paul. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I'm one who serves as his representative in the world. When you know those two things, you should be asking yourself the question, what? What happened? What on earth changed to take a man like Paul who hated the church and made him the greatest supporter of, and in his mind, someone who was charged with now representing Jesus Christ rather than tearing him down? And church family, there are two things, two things that we now need to look and see that, that explain to us what exactly happened. Two more things that you need to know about Paul. And he says it right there in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by what? By the will of God. By the will of God. The phrase here is Paul's declaration to all who would listen of God's intercession in his life. The only reason that Paul is who he is today is because God interceded. Paul did not make himself an ambassador for Christ. He did not choose this role or have anything to do with becoming an apostle. It was God, Paul understands it, who made him an apostle, who made him a representative, who appointed him to this role. It was God who took him from being a hater of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. Paul was, listen to me, church, chosen by God for his new life. 
chosen by God for his new life. That is what Paul is coming and telling us here. How did I get here? How am I now his representative? Oh, it wasn't my doing. It was God interceding on my behalf. In fact, anytime he writes to other churches, he, he draws attention to this. Going back to Romans 1.1, look at what he says in Romans 1.1. He refers to himself in that letter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. When he wrote again to the church in Galatians, he said this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through who? Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The only reason why Paul was no longer a man who hated Christ and who hated his church was because God interceded on his behalf. This idea that it was God's will is a theme that's going to jump out throughout the rest of the book, okay? Throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul's going to talk often about what God is able to do and how it's God who intercedes and how it's God who chooses and brings us to, ourself, to himself. It's something that we cannot do. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, in fact, let's just turn there just for a moment. In Acts chapter 9, we're not going to look at the entirety of this story, but actually in Acts chapter 9, we have a record of the very moment in time in which God reached out and ultimately took care of Saul and turned him into to Paul. I just, I just want you to see the chapter. I'm just going to summarize some of it here. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, who at that point is Saul, he's on his way to, to persecute the church to ultimately seek to, de to destroy the church. He's going to now foreign cities trying to arrest them and get them thrown in, in jail. And as he's on his way, look at verse, verse 4, verse 3. It says, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God engages Saul when he's on his way to seek to destroy the church. He's not having a heart sensitive to Jesus. He doesn't have a heart that's being drawn to him. He, he's anti-God, Jesus Christ, and he's anti-the church. And in verse 5 he says, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. As he's on his way to do evil to the people of God, God intercedes for him. He ultimately blinds Saul. Saul goes into the city and he meets a man there who prays over him and gives him the commission from the Lord to go and be a minister to the Gentiles. It was God who interceded. It was God who chose Paul for this new life and who gave him new life. When you understand that, you understand why he would write this. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul says, I was a man whom God interceded and saved and changed. And that's why 
I can write to you that every spiritual blessing you have, the salvation you have is because of God's intercession. He says he chose us in him. He predestined us. It's the work of God that brings dead people to life as we're gonna see in Ephesians chapter two. Paul could say these things because he was a recipient. He was one who had experienced it firsthand. How could Paul go from being an enemy of Christ to being one of his ambassadors? Paul says it's all because of the work that God has done. This is a beautiful testimony. It's a beautiful testimony because when you consider Paul's life, when you consider who he was, we look at Paul and we say, if God can do this for Paul, he can do this for anybody. And the reason why he ultimately was able to do this for Paul is because, listen, Paul was a recipient of the mercy and grace of God. In order for him to be made by God an ambassador and a representative, in order for, for Paul to have this new life, two things had to happen to Paul. He had to receive God's mercy and his grace. You see, we talked about this actually a few weeks ago. You know what mercy is, right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Paul was a man who threw God's people in prison. Paul was a man who tried to get God's people to blaspheme. He was a man who broke up families and had no qualms with doing it. Paul was a man who deserved for God to smite him. That word has fallen out of usage, but I like it every so often. He was in the eyes of God God's enemy. He deserved God's judgment. He deserved God's wrath. God shouldn't have even blinked. You see, and make no mistake, God knew exactly who Paul was, right? Because when he confronted Paul on the road, when Christ confronted him on the road, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you what? Persecute me. It wasn't like God's like, who, who's that guy? Oh, that's that's Paul. I wonder what he's like. He knew exactly who he was. And so what does God do? He shows his mercy. He does not give Paul what he deserves. Instead, he bestows upon Paul forgiveness. Paul, I know who you are fully. I know what you've done. It's not hidden from me. And yet I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to hold it against you because that's the reason why my son, Jesus Christ, died. It's so that sinners, enemies, could ultimately be turned into sons and daughters. It's why when he would write to the Romans, he would say, while we were still enemies of God, God ultimately saved us. It's why in Ephesians chapter 4, 32, he'll write these words. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted forgiving one another as in Christ God forgave you. See, when Paul writes those words, those aren't empty words for Paul. When he's saying, be, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted towards one another, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you, those weren't theoretical words for Paul. Paul knew that he deserved the wrath of God. He deserved judgment. He had harmed Christ and Christ's people, and yet God said, 
I'm showing you mercy. I'm forgiving you, Paul. And Paul says, man, if you've received a forgiveness like that, if you've received mercy for like that, how can we not be merciful to each other? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. What does that mean? Well, yeah, Paul was the author. But, but what it means is that this was a man who entered into a new life by the action of God upon him, and God showed him mercy. Don't just skip past this one little verse and think it's just a salutary introduction. No, this is Paul actually communicating the testimony of his life. But Paul wasn't just a man who received mercy from God. The fact that he was now an apostle given a ministry indicates that he had received the grace of God. Grace, in its differentiation from, from mercy, is receiving what you do not deserve. It's one thing for him to receive forgiveness. He didn't, he didn't need that, he shouldn't have received that forgiveness. But now what does God do with him? He takes him, he forgives him, and then he says, now, now Paul, I'm giving you the ministry of being my ambassador. I'm now calling you to live your new life by making much of me. Look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. He, he says this very thing. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's what? Grace. Paul says, you want to know who I am now? You want to know I, why I am what I am now? God's grace. If it wasn't for his grace, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have this power of God working in me. The human author of this book was not a man who understood the concepts of mercy and grace theoretically, but understood them personally. When Newton wrote the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, Paul was the one who sang it first. He knew who he was. He knew what he did not deserve. And yet God forgave him and God then lavished him with this ministry. He made him an ambassador. But church, that's not just something that Paul had experienced himself. It's something that every single person who comes to faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a recipient of themselves. There's not one person in this room today who, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, cannot stand and say with Paul, I too am a recipient of mercy and of grace. I too have a new life because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Paul didn't deserve it. You and I don't deserve it. And yet God shed his grace on thee. And this is this beautiful message that we see just in this introduction. That as we look at Paul's life and how it proclaims a testimony of God's grace and mercy, church, we too can say the same. And you want to know how transformative this is? You want to know how transformative it was for Paul to have experienced this grace and mercy? Do you know where he was writing this letter from? Yeah, look at it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for who? The Lord. I'm a prisoner here, he says. Now look at what he says next. I'm a prisoner. It's not worth it. Chuck it. Don't do it. It's too difficult. He says, no, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul says, I was made an ambassador. Who's he saying has also been made ambassadors? We are. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul doesn't say give it up. He says, even though I am a prisoner because of this now, I want to see you continue on. I want to continue on. Just because I'm in, I'm in prison doesn't mean it's not worth it. Just because I'm in prison doesn't mean it's not true. In fact, look at what he says at the end of the letter. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, he, he encourages them. He says, listen, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Verse 19, and also pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We goes from persecuting the church to being an ambassador for Jesus, to being an ambassador for Jesus now in chains. And towards the end of his life, he says, even now, although I'm in chains, although following Christ has cost me my worldly freedom, how does he ask the church to pray for him? I still want to proclaim Christ boldly. I want to finish well. I don't want to give up because he knows with the grace and mercy that has come to him. In fact, in chapter 3, when Paul offers up a prayer for the Ephesians church, he desires for them, he prays, to know the love of Christ and he prays that they would know more deeply the love of Christ because he knows what that love has done for him. When he talks about God's will and choosing people and making them his people, Paul's like, I'm exhibit A of how God can intercede and to save. Paul was a man who knew grace and mercy in abundance and he wanted everyone to know about it. And even if the grace and mercy of God made him a prisoner in the world's eyes, he said, I won't forsake it. And so why spend so much time talking about all of this and talking about Paul? Because I think there's two very simple takeaways. The first is this for us this morning. I alluded to this earlier, but it's worth repeating now, and it's in your notes. If Paul can receive God's grace and mercy, then no one is beyond God's ability to save. Can I get an amen to that? Let's try saying it all together here. If God can save someone like Paul, then no one is beyond God's ability to save. Amen? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Some of you today here are testimonies of that. Some of you can say, oh, there was a time when. We were having a meeting with some of the newer members of the church and, and we were getting to know one another and sharing testimonies. I tell you, one of the most powerful things that Christians can do is to share their testimonies with, with one another. Of, of how, what's your story? And you, you got a guy at a table like me who, like Paul, says I was circumcised on the eighth day, right? I, I grew up in the church. <laughs> Okay, I was, I was born in the church. And then you have another brother, sister in the Lord who come in and says, it took us a long time. And there was a lot of sin and there was a lot of heartache. 
yet both, doesn't matter, are illustrations of God's ability to save. And so, as a church first, I just wonder, who in your life, who in your life, that neighbor, that friend, that coworker, if you looked at them today, you'd think, that's a, that's a Saul. Is there somebody in your life that you think they're beyond God's ability to save? God's word comes to us and says, look at the life of Paul. No one is beyond God's ability to save. Because anyone who's saved is saved by what? The grace and mercy of God. <laughs> it's not because of what we do. Would you consider with me praying more fervently for those people in your life that you think are far off? Because as we're going to see later in the book of Ephesians, those who are far off, guess what God does? He draws them near. Who is it? Maybe you here today are hearing this message and you're, you're thinking, I just, I just came here because I needed a place to, to just come. I feel distant from God. I'm telling you, God is not so far off that by his grace and mercy, he can't save and deliver. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you too can be saved. But it won't be because of what you've done. It's because God has shed grace and mercy on you. Second and final thing. If Paul can be used by God, guess what? Anyone can be used by God. If Paul can be used by God, someone who is an enemy of God, someone who actually persecuted the church, if God can use a man like Paul, God can use anyone. Paul was a big proponent of this. In fact, God, being God, inspired Paul to write 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Do you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about? It's about how we are all made a part of the body of Christ and how each and every person is given a, is given a purpose and a role within the body of Christ and how every single person has a place and is to be used by God regardless of what they think about themselves. Somebody would say, well, because I'm not an eye, I can't be used because I'm not an ear. And God says, no, no, if I can use somebody like Paul, I can use anybody because it's not about what you can do, it's about what I can do. In fact, Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. I love this. Listen to this, church. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. Paul says, you want to sum up my life? You want to know who I am? This is who I am. I am a man whose life is a testimony that no one is beyond God's ability to save and no one is beyond God's ability to use. Do you believe those things? <laughs> the very first verse of the book of Ephesians invites you to believe them, to know them, and to walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, There's so much in this letter because, Lord, there's so much in you. And we thank you and praise you that we have your word, Lord, which reveals these, these glorious truths just even in the simplest little verse. That, Lord, when we take the time to sit back and to really examine what you are communicating, Lord, there is so much there. And so, Lord, we praise you for the testimony of a man like Paul because it's a testimony 
to, Lord, of your ability to save and to redeem. It's a testimony of your grace and mercy. It shows us today as your people that no one is beyond your ability to save. That includes us. And that, Lord, no one is beyond your ability to use. And so, Lord, as we go out into this week, Lord, I pray that these things would be before us, that we would see ourselves as as recipients of your grace and mercy, that we would see ourselves as those who now, in and through Jesus Christ, are your ambassadors, once sent out by you, Lord, who are able to minister into the world. And Lord, as we pray almost each and every week, if there's any man, woman, or child that came into this place this morning, Lord, not being a recipient of that grace and mercy, not knowing the forgiveness of the sins that's found in Christ and Christ alone, then Lord, I pray that they would hear this word and that they would believe by your spirit that nothing can separate us from your love because of what Christ has done. And so it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen.